0: Thank you for tuning into the Future of Health on DASH Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello and welcome to our broadcast. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Henderson, Chief Executive Behavioral Health for Providence here in Oregon. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied, to be a substitute for professional medical advice. If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your provider. Participating in this event with this clinician does not create a clinician-patient relationship. Now we're here today to celebrate World Kindness Day and and the whole Kindness Week and and in these times of, of political discourse and and social justice and all these other things, I think kindness is probably more important than ever. So talk with me about how kindness could impact our mental health and well-being. is Dr. Nate Goins, a clinical psychologist from Providence here in Oregon. Dr. Nate, thank you and welcome to the program.
1: Of course, nice to be here.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about what you do in your role at Providence and a little bit about who you are?
1: Yeah, so I'm a psychologist who works, you know, in the offices with our doctors. So I work at our Gateway Family Medicine Clinic, uh, just as a part of the treatment team there, working with people on really all sorts of stuff, you know, mental health uh, that they might be dealing with, or just they feel a little stuck, or physical health conditions that we can work with things on. Um, The whole idea is just to help people find those ways to be themselves and to kind of live that life they want to be having.
0: Wow. So... So, you know, being that this is Kindness Week and and looking at kindness as something that's important, I know for me, when when I think about kindness, I always go back to the rules that the kindergartners live by, right? You know, share, play fair, (laughs) don't hit people, put things back where you found them. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Now these days, wash your hands. That's a big one (laughs) for me. But, you know... The The idea of kindness, when you go out in the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together, that idea of kindness, so many of us could use an extra dose of that these days. So in what ways do, does Providence and what you and your team does really help focus people on bringing back to kindness and compassion?
1: So when I think about kindness and compassion and how that shows up, I think that it's a lot about how we choose to relate to each other and how we choose to see each other, and with that, you know, this is generosity, really, um, and seeing the other person that you're working with or relating to as being someone who has plenty of value, and you know, that you want to see as a fundamentally good person who's trying their best. And so, within Providence, I think, what we're always trying to do and, uh, and always striving towards in the work that we're doing. Is that everyone that we're serving feels seen as who they are, and feels like they're being viewed as someone who really is trying their best to live their best life and to make the most positive impact on the world that they can. And so, in our work, um, just making sure that we're doing everything we can and always working to grow and be even better at how we see uh, and accept people and let them tell us who they are and come alongside them and. Just be that support.
0: You know, the Providence mission to be steadfast in serving all patients, especially those who are poor and vulnerable, you know, that really speaks to the epitome of kindness. How does that impact the way you work with patients?
1: Oh man, Um, especially that part about the poor and the vulnerable is something that uh, is really near and dear to me. So much of the time what we know is that the people who have the least uh, also need the most. And so what we do is to try to um, just by being there, you know, in their doctor's office in a space that maybe is a lot more accessible to them, um, to be in that space where they can show up um, to really utilize the relationship that they have with their doctor, that trust they've built up over time um, to really quickly show them that we're there with them and to help them. Um, Especially now, as you were saying, right? needing that extra dose of kindness, um, the poor and the vulnerable more than any of us are in that um, position of all of this tumult feeling chaotic and threatening. Um, And so the more that we can do to show up and to provide that extra layer of support, I think the more that we're enacting those values.
0: Well, it's interesting. the United Kingdom off times, uh, especially in the last few years, have been very forward thinking about mental health and their approach, uh, not only to peer delivered services, but their approach to how they message about mental health. And they recently had a campaign about the health benefits of kindness. And one of the things that they called out in health benefits of kindness is that kindness can create a sense of, of belonging and reduce isolation. In this time of COVID, when when some of what we would traditionally do um, that, you know, would be more hands-on, how are you encouraging people to create that sense of belonging and reduce isolation?
1: It is hard. Uh, I think everyone's dealing with that struggle. Um, As much as we try with, you know, video calls like this one or reaching out to people over the phone, there still is that feeling that you're not able to be with the people that we love and that we care about. And, you know, when it's maybe uh, grandparents who you can't go visit anymore, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, family member who's having a new, uh, new baby coming along. Um, we do what we can. And right now, that means trying to flow with where we're at, as far as how we're handling the pandemic. So in times when maybe numbers are down and we can be a little more flexible, making sure that we're really leaning into that and taking advantage of those spaces. Um, when things are a little harder, maybe taking that step back or doing what we can to uh, maybe find that connection in contexts that are a little bit safer, You know, making plans to uh, go for walks um, or just to even be out and about wandering and just seeing other people, um, even if, you're not able to sit down or, you know, spend those hours together in close proximity. It reminds us that that's the thing that we can feel and that we can reach towards, and we can hold on to that hope as far as that coming back again, in hopefully the not too distant future.
0: Well, and it's interesting because you kind of allude a little bit in there to self-care and, and that idea of, you know, emotional wellness that we need to really be taking care of ourselves. Uh, as part of how we're kind to others. Is there a connection between self-care and our relationship with other people?
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, sometimes it is a lot easier for us to take care of others or to view other people um, as maybe deserving to be taken care of. And we tend to set ourselves aside and we work really hard to make sure that the other people in our lives feel cared for. And so we're showing them kindness. But in doing so, sometimes we drain ourselves a little too much. And in not showing ourselves the kindness of being able to say, I need the space and I need the input too, um, we end up in a situation where we can't continue to do that. And we can't continue to show kindness in the way that we want to. And so we have to be willing to show ourselves the kindness by holding some of those maybe even limits around how much we're willing to show up and do by letting others be kind to us, which is also hard for a lot of people to do. Um, And really just holding that same kind of generosity and compassion and general mindset of forgiveness for ourselves just as much as we do for others. And in that we are able to keep showing up
0: know yeah, that that is such an interesting interesting thought in there around um, this connection between mental health and emotional well-being, and not only kindness to other people but kindness to ourselves. Do you believe? Uh, I know there's some studies out there. Uh, do you believe that this really can affect your mental health?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think that the way that it shows up the most for me is this idea that. We we kind of tell our story of our lives. Um, you know the events that happen, um, they happen. That's life. It's fairly random at times. It's totally unpredictable. It's often out of our control. The way that we interpret it greatly shapes how we experience it. And if we talk about kindness as this idea of being generous, of assuming, uh, you know, positivity of Um, basically looking at others and seeing them as being fundamentally good and fundamentally trying, then the story that we tell about our world is a fundamentally more positive, caring one. It's one in which sometimes things happen that are really difficult or really painful, but one in which people generally work hard and show up to make things a better space. And living in that, that version of the world just has to make you feel more positive and more hopeful. And lets you relate to people with that openness and hopefully even to yourself with that openness. You know, the more that you treat others and hold that narrative that says that you're trying your best, and as you're applying that to yourself and telling yourself over and over again, yeah, you're trying your best too, that can't help but sink in.
0: You know, that that idea right now, more than ever, I think is a really, really key component because as we're sitting here coming right off this election, um, there are a lot of people with very polarized opinions still. I mean, if you any foray into social media, you will suddenly see the polarized opinions out there. And how do you help people who are struggling to have compassion for people who have vastly different views, especially during this time of political unrest? How are you doing that?
1: That is a hard question. I mean, I first, I think what I wanna say is that I would wanna validate people, but it makes sense that you'd be having a really hard time with this. Um, we all have our own individual mixtures of values. That is those things that when we see them being enacted in the world or when we're living them out or in the people in our immediate lives are living those out, we feel that things are right. And when they're not present, we feel that things are wrong. And it's a very fundamental, thing. It's a deep feeling. Mm -hmm. And so much of what we're seeing these days with um, the political situation is that those values are very strongly tied to people's political perspectives. And so we talk about it wanting to be just like a conversation as though it's this purely intellectual thing. And the reality is that it is a very emotional area. It's a very loaded area for a lot of people. And so the natural response is always going to be to want to push away those people or those situations that make us feel uncomfortable, that feel wrong because we don't want to engage with it. we don't want to work through and question and challenge that part of ourselves because it's us. Um, And I'd also emphasize that right now, the way that things are, um, for quite a lot of people, these things that we're talking about are very real threats to not just maybe their self-concept, but, their feeling of safety, their ability to be treated as you know an equal human to other humans. And so it is a very real thing that we're talking about right now. Um, what I'd say is that having compassion for others in this context doesn't mean that you have to agree or approve or be okay with what they're saying. It means that you maybe work on finding that part of them, that you can recognize, that humanity, that thing that says, you know what, this is a person and their views are theirs and you can try and argue and that's probably not going to do anything anyway. Or we can focus on that reality that we are two people with these deeply held convictions and maybe that is enough compassion to allow for a relationship to start to build again. Um, so often we focus on those gaps and I think, again, that's fairly normal. It takes a lot of effort to push through and look for that shared overlap and to try and push through. And I'd say that you don't have to do this. It can sometimes feel like just way too much work and it can sometimes put you in a position of feeling unsafe or that the people that you're trying to engage with maybe aren't responding to your efforts in a way that makes you feel safe. But when you are in a position where it feels like maybe you can, and maybe there is room to build that relationship back up, to start from that ground of we're both just people. And I think even, um, you know, Joe Biden in his speech the other night, Mm -hmm. emphasizing these people are not our enemies, they're Americans. And to expand that, you know, they're just people. Um, And if we can try and pull it back, can't help but hopefully move us forward a little bit.
0: Well, it's interesting because I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, leaders matter, influencers matter, Um, the people that we look up to matter. And when they behave in a certain way, uh, that tends to make that behavior acceptable. And we have had a world leader, we've had an American president, who routinely breaks kindergarten rules, calls people mm-hmm. names, makes fun of people, and and uses his words in ways that are not kind, um, that don't attack policy and ideas, but attack right. individual people at the core of who they are. And uh, as a parent, I look at that and go, if that was my kid, and my kid was calling people names and <laughs> making fun of people with disabilities and doing all these other types of things. Um, my kid and I would be having a very different conversation. <laughs> but this has been what's been modeled. And so for many people, they found this behavior to be acceptable. And I yeah. imagine that right now, many of those people are waking up and going, you know, I feel pretty bad about my behavior of making fun of people. What's some advice that we can give to some of those folks of how they can push a reset button and make a choice to not call people names and to not be okay? hmm. how do you How do you help people stop that behavior and make it okay?
1: I think I always start by saying that messing up is a part of being a human. You know, thank God we can grow. Thank God we can look back and say, I don't necessarily like that version of who I was back then. If we couldn't, I mean, yeah, that'd be it. So this is always a part of what we do as people. We're always growing and looking back at things we've done and reevaluating and trying to ask, okay, how can I be more of who I'm aspiring towards today? Um, What you were describing, you know, this. As president, who has not in any way really reflected kindness. Um, with that, I think that for me, at least on a personal level, um, the importance of kindness has only grown as I've gotten older. And as I've thought about the people who I respect most, kindness shows up more and more and more. And I think it's because it's it's not always even people, it's not that they're universally kind or nice, right? I think that's also maybe a misnomer too. Um, You can be kind and still be firm in convictions and still be deeply upset by things that feel wrong. But the kindness is that core choice to say that, you know what, we're all people, we're all going to mess up, we're all going to try and grow. So can we all just keep doing this thing together? And so part of moving forward for an individual who maybe is saying that. I don't want to be that way that I maybe have been for a while is to be a little bit um, compassionate towards yourself, to pull back some of that self-kindness and to remind yourself that, yeah, we do this. We do things that aren't compatible with who we want to be. And then we, we acknowledge it. And the acknowledging is really a hard part. And that choice to say that something I've been doing isn't something I want to continue takes a lot of courage and energy. And so when you're in that space, you've already moved forward. You're already doing the work. And then it's just a question of day after day, choosing to hold that generosity, catching yourself when you feel yourself falling back into those default patterns of wanting to shut people out or deny their their value, their humanity, their equal, whatever, um, to assume you know them better than maybe they know themselves. When those urges are coming up, and you start catching yourself doing it more and more, choosing to interrupt, choosing to think differently, choosing to respond differently. And you know what, the thing with kindness too, people aren't always acting with positive intent, they just aren't. But we can choose to interpret their actions that way, right? <laughs> so like, you know, if you're driving on the freeway and someone cuts you off, like they could be a jerk, they could be mindless, yeah. They could also just be, you know, Maybe they're super distracted or stressed about something else and they weren't able to pay attention as much in that moment as they would like to. Yeah. We don't know what the truth is, but the story you tell about what happened shapes how you are able to respond and it lets you be that more generous person. And so even though, you know, this choice to be generous or this choice to be kind, it's, it's a choice. Um, no matter what is going on, it's that choice to say, "I'm going to interpret things and I'm going to tell a story that reflects, yeah, generosity and value."
0: That that idea of choosing to be kind, and and I I really like that framework, um, that that choice, uh, because for a lot of people, they're disappointed. You know, half our country is disappointed in the outcome of mm-hmm. this election. Yeah, and and they've got to figure out. How they move forward proactively and productively, because as as people are saying, we are one American people, regardless, we are one American people. So how we choose kindness to move our our country forward together actually takes kindness on both sides.
1: yeah, it does. Um, and it's a really hard thing to respond to wrongdoing with kindness, um, Mm -hmm. to respond to harm with kindness. Um, Sometimes even that language has been leveraged to make people who have less agency change how they respond to their situation by saying that that's not an appropriate way to react. And that's, there's a lot of nuance to this. And I don't ever want us to be in a situation, I guess, where someone is, you know, where we expect perfection all the time Mm -hmm. or where we say, you know, it's a universal thing Um, or that in all situations, no matter what is done to you, you must respond with kindness because it's just not always going to happen. And what I would say with this disappointment and trying to figure out how people can move forward from here. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the reality of, you know, a democracy is that a large portion of people are disappointed every time we have an election. And in fact, I right. suspect most people have if they go back and they look, you know, at their ballot, they can probably find at least one thing they voted for that didn't end up passing. So you can always find that point where there's something that's a disappointment. <laughs> I think part of what's so hard in this current world is that we're aware of all these things that are so far beyond us. Um mm-hmm you know, how many million people voted in this election, like 140, 100 and some crazy huge numbers. Um, and there's that feeling of, you know, your one vote, what does that do? And it's true that on a national <laughs> scale, like, yeah, you as an individual do not have power to shape the way this is gonna go. And even on a, you know, local scale, maybe you don't, but you rein it in and you look around and you say, in my immediate world, in the space that I can affect, What can I do? Like, what are those things that I want to see different and how can I bring about that change? How can I bring people to understand why I want things to look the way they do? And so within that smaller space, and that smaller space can be, you know, it can be within your household, not even it's like your neighborhood or your town. (laughs) Um, Starting within that world where you can have that conversation and actually maybe move the dial a little bit. And from there, as people focus on their surrounds, that's what ultimately builds to bring about those bigger changes that we want to see happen. And so even when large things, you know, big elections take place, you can always, in your own space, continue to work to bring about what you're hoping for.
0: You know, it's so interesting because I, uh, you know, in my own household, um, we took our frustration and, you know, channeled it into advocacy and helped out mm-hmm. with the local campaign and yeah. you know, did the things that we could to help out with the local campaign. Um, I hope that the outcome of this election allows us to re-engage in democracy and re-engage in whether it's the water board in your community or your city council mm-hmm. or your school board. Uh, yeah, We all need to take all different kinds of views into the context uh, of what that looks like in our local community. Uh, And I think we've given part of that away for a while. So it was, I loved watching all the people voting and didn't, I didn't care who you vote for at this stage of the game. (laughs) What it cares that you vote.
1: You're involved. Exactly.
0: Get involved. Yeah. And we're coming into Thanksgiving and the holiday season and, and all those other good types of things. And and you know, all of us have that table at Thanksgiving where we have relatives who do not see the world the way we see the world. And this is going to be yeah. our first big opportunity, even if your Thanksgiving is over Zoom. Uh, and w- and we hope that everybody does practice a safe, socially distanced, uh, smaller Thanksgiving. But uh, if you want to get, we're we're going to do an episode talking about some other types of things you can do for holiday gatherings. This is kind <laughs> of a, a different way to look at that, but but what is gonna be the best way to bring up some of those sensitive political issues with your friends and family this holiday season to begin that healing process? Um, Or actually better yet, how do you get yourself out of a hot political conversation?
1: (laughs) I'm really glad actually that like, we're talking about both sides of this because (laughs) I think they're both totally valid. Um, I'd say to begin with, decide which avenue you're gonna take, you know, weigh the, benefits of engaging in that conversation versus the cost it's not always going to be worth it if it's a space in which there's going to be the possibility for a productive dialogue then sure you can go down that road and if you do you know remember that with kindness and compassion that the person you're talking to is a person and that they have arrived at their views through whatever system of engagement has made sense to them and so as you focus on the, maybe the issue at hand rather than attacking the individual or making assumptions about what, about the individual based on the issue, the further you get away from the person's value or your own sense of value, the easier it's going to be to have a productive conversation. Um, remember that just trying to argue and change someone's mind basically never works. And in fact, what you know that it makes it, it just, it just makes people double down even more. Um, so. Yeah, it's not about trying to have an argument. It's not about trying to win a debate. It's about trying to have a conversation. Now, if you're not in a position where it's gonna be productive or you don't feel like it's sufficiently safe to go there, it is perfectly appropriate to set a boundary and say, I'm not willing. Um, Clear communication is often enough, but if it's not, be willing to take that step and maybe even walk out of the room or pivot to go do something else. Um, I am a huge fan of you know the kitty table. Um, we can always go <laughs> hang out with the kids um, <laughs> and doing something that says, you know what, I'm not into this, but I'm going to go do this for a while. It communicates very clearly like, look, I'm here, I'm with my family. I want to be with my family. I don't want to have that conversation, but I want to be here and I want to be with my family. And yeah.
0: <laughs> I think some people are going to be spending some time uh, some definite time at the kids' table this year.
1: <laughs> I absolutely think so, yes.
0: <laughs> That's great advice. So, you know, as we come to, to kind of the end of our time, one of the go-to types of, of things that I think can help really spur and spawn kindness are what we call those random acts of kindness. And I'm wondering if you've got some ideas uh, in this time of COVID, in this time of a pandemic when, when we can't do the things we would normally do what are some random acts of kindness that everybody could start doing today?
1: You know, the one that always comes to mind for me is just, it's so simple, right? It's just interacting with people with kindness, like a warm smile and a genuine, how are you doing today? Goes a long way, like such a long way. And especially to people who are in those roles that are typically, Taken for granted or underappreciated. You know, the grocery store checkout person or, uh, you know, security guard or those roles that we tend to just move through with. Or if we do have that conversation, it's a very automatic, like, you know, we're just saying, hi, how's it going? Because we're saying, hi, how's it going? But if you can reach in and find that kindness in you and bring that out and that question and in that smile, people have such a strong radar for genuineness. And so letting that be seen, I think that does more than really much of anything else we could do.
0: Well, that is an amazing piece of advice. And uh, I really want to thank you, Dr. Nate, for joining us today. And I want to thank all of our listeners, uh, everybody around the the Providence world. You know, let's take some of those random acts of kindness to heart and go out and do something nice for somebody today. Go out and make somebody smile today and spread a little kindness in the world. And uh, I wanna leave you with uh, the one last thought from the kindergarten rules to live a balanced life, learn some, think some, draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Because Mm -hmm. those kindergarten rules are really the basic things we all need to get back to. Thank you for being part of the Providence.org family, Dr. Nate. If you or someone you know are looking for medical advice, please come look at our website at providence.org. You can also follow me on Instagram at Doc rob henderson. Uh, make sure to follow Providence on social media, Twitter under Providence Health System, on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, thank you again, Dr. Nate. It's been a pleasure talking with you.
1: Thank you so much. Every-
0: Everybody be well and be kind.